Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. And welcome to Inward Book Club, the show where pretty much every week, give or take, depending on where we're at with holidays, we pick up a book, we read it. It's normally a business book or a sales book. We talk about it. Then, by and large, we rip into it a bit and then say nice things about it thereafter, don't we, Mike? Yeah, pretty much. You've pretty much summarised it. I think that's a summary. Right, I'm off. And this week, we're talking about a book called The Qualified Sales Leader, Proven Lessons, from a five-time CRO, John McMahon. Now, I'll tell you what, Pricey, I'm 103 pages into this one, which should get me bang on a third, a third, a third. I've quite enjoyed this so far. Oh, I'm only 94 pages into it, actually. Well, we'll go to page 94 then today. Yeah, I went up to part um, three. Yeah, I mean, I quite like it. you, You said that one of your candidates or clients had said, that uh, it's like a series of little stories. I think that's pretty accurate, really. But they're quite good stories. They are, aren't they? And I like a message delivered by allegory. Um, it's all right for me. The, the problem with a message delivered in that way is that it's very rarely um, a manual. But nonetheless. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like a bit more of a manual. I like, I like a bit more of a do this, do that, do this, do that. Whereas this is the message delivered by allegory, isn't it? A metaphor and an allegory for all sorts. I'm going to start right at the very start. I'll tell you the first thing I noticed about this book. The people who have recommended it. Oh, man. I was going to say, it's a, it's a proper glittering array of... Uh, we don't, I don't know the names of any of the people, but God, they've worked for some good companies. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about top, top, top people here. It literally is sales royalty. Yes, Sales and tech sector royalty have given this book a write-up at the front. I mean, we're talking just top, top. MongoDB, Sprinkler, HubSpot, BMC. Yeah. You cannot deny in any way or form that we're clearly dealing with a guy who's a little bit smarter than the average bear and a little bit further up the food chain than the average sales trainer punting a lead magnet that we get on the show. And listeners, Alex, this is content for you. John McMahon will be on the show telling us all about his book. So make sure you tune in. He's going to be a top guy. I mean, even the foreword is by a guy called Dev Itichuria, the CEO of MongoDB. I mean, fair enough. Yeah. So the first thing, you know, he was the head of sales, this guy, for five different public companies. PTC. That's a good start. He's a good uh, start. He's put here. It had a legendary reputation. Yeah, it did. For the, for those who know, those who know know how legendary it was. You, you meet somebody who was at PTC ninety nine to two thousand and three. They're going to be top guys, top top sellers. What PTC invented was mass scale up. Well, PTC were massive fans of Medic, weren't they? They were the first company yeah. really to undertake Medic. You know, Medic's sort of back in fashion now, isn't it? Yeah, and they used Medic. And they invented the concept of massive market proliferation at rapid pace to a point where nobody else could get a look in. Yeah. They were the first to blitz scale a business. 
Well, they were. And then, then all the PTC guys went to Veritas, who obviously smashed it. And then they all went to Salesforce.com. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, I have not got Andy Jackson's details in front of me. This is just from memory, but I'm sure he worked at PTC. Yeah. So he was at PTC, Geotel, Ariba, Blade Logic, and BMC. And then I think this is a great point. Moreover, 33 people in counting from Blade Logic sales organization went on to become chief revenue officers for other key software companies. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And then he, he, he talks about most, he says, most founders only focus on sales when the company's going to miss a number, but they don't spend sufficient time to understand whether a company's putting in the right foundational infrastructure for long-term sales success. He said, as a result, most companies have a haphazard approach to sales. These companies do not know who their ideal customer profile is, let alone how to pursue them, are not clear on the type of salespeople they should hire, have not built a prescribed sales process with measurable steps, have no discernible qualification methodology to understand where a deal is or how much work is left to do, and do little to hold salespeople accountable for completing each step in the process. So they cut corners and end up with bad outcomes. And I I think we're seeing a lot of that in the current sector climate because there's so much money being thrown about. Yes, I do agree with that. But his next paragraph is put, building a sales organization is not easy, nor is it cheap. No. Yeah, but I think a lot of these companies that are trying to scale, that are getting it wrong, are trying to do it cheaply. Do you think? Yeah, there's a CRM company that advertised to me all the time on LinkedIn, uh, on YouTube, sorry. I've never seen advertisement like it. Some of the people they've hired are just dreadful. Right. Dreadful. And it's all on the chip. But I think a lot of that hiring and a lot of that, is done on the cheap because there's a perception from the VC community that actually you can pile soldiers over the top of a trench. They don't need to be elite because you've got an SDR function and industrialized marketing to coin a phrase that somebody used in a meeting that you and I had. And that I think there's a belief of if we industrialize marketing and pile Men over the top of the trench on the Battle of the Somme, some of them will live, and we've got enough money that if that many of them live, it doesn't matter anyway. Yes, I agree with that. It, and so it changes the, the nature with which, you know, when this guy was involved in PTC, they took guys out to America on a multiple month. I remember they started on 25K base. Oh, they did, yeah, 25, 120. 25 base, 120 OTE in the late 90s. And then they got on a plane and they flew to America for sales training for, I think it was eight weeks. And then they monstered them with medic and the demo and the pitch. They did. In reality, that was their probation. Oh, guys would get on the plane. Guys would get on the plane after two weeks, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 And I, I, I get the impression it was a, listen, do you want to go home? No. Really? You sure? There's a plane ticket there. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I think it was all bonkers, 20 hour days and, and bonkersness but they were all elite when they came home. Completely agree. Interesting. Completely agree. So then he goes into his introduction where he talks about the QBRs and he talks about how in every QBR, a game is played out. I thought, oh, that's so true. Yes, I thought that. He said, no rep wants to forecast less than a quota for the quarter. I, I, I've actually put it, I think good ones do. I think good reps will say, yeah, I'm not going to hit targets. Yes, but, what, but what's interesting is how much pressure they get put under when they say that. And there's a point in the book later on where he's giving the allegory of the of the sales meeting. Yes. And the guy's for the, and there's one guy who's clearly a top bloke who's gone, that's my forecast, it's under quota. And the sales leadership team are putting him under enormous pressure to up his forecast. And he's like, Well, but I'm not going to sell anything more than that. They're the deals that I've qualified and I know I'm going to win. And they're absolutely badgering the living daylights out of the poor guy. When actually he's sat there going, Well, I've qualified those. Those are the ones I'll win. 
you know, you speak to lots of people who say that's very real. Um, he, he says, in a forecast review, reps often find it difficult to be completely honest. Reps have a hard time learning from their managers' inquiring questions. It's interesting about whether they learn. And he's saying that the whole point of those QBRs is a learning experience. It's full of great little lines, I think, this book. If the QBR is never leveraged as a way to capture account dynamics, understand buyer scenarios, learn about the competition and discover ways to quantify customer value, the time is wasted. Eventually, reps will need to learn to self-analyze their own account scenarios. I mean, how often do you speak to a sales guy and you ring him and you go, you're all right, yeah, good, yeah, what are you up to? Oh, yeah, I'm just in my QBR meeting. All the time. All right, well, do you, do you need to drop the call? Nah, mate, don't worry about it. Really? Yeah. It's not my turn for another 20 minutes and everyone's just chatting shit anyway. I, th- I find it amazing that. <laughs> I find it amazing that companies fall into the cycle of doing that. Why do they do it? And they do these calls that last, uh, I was speaking to someone, they do these calls that last like all day. And everyone sits there in front of the call. Right, you, what are you going to forecast? Right, brilliant. Why? But they're not really getting anything out of it. I find that, I find that almost. I find it amazing. What's the word I'm looking for? Surreal. Sort of a, a, like, abs- like a, a theatre of the absurd, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Taking 20 sales guys off the road for a, a whole morning. How much time is that? It's 10 Mondays, if I calculate correctly. Completely agree, yeah. 10 Mondays plus the time of the leadership team and everyone else who's in the room for, to then give everybody shit about their forecast. But no one's actually, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yes. Well, then he talks in chapter two. He goes through an example, doesn't he, with this lady, Shannon? Yeah. And he says, some of these guys look visibly shaken. I mean, I remember some of the old sales meetings we used to have at Howard Jackson. People used to be ill. Uh, yeah, I didn't think they were like this, though, actually. Because those sales meetings at Howard Jackson, they were reporting on what you'd done. Not what you were going to do. Only yes. you had to forecast for the next quarter, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but it wasn't in this kind of way, was it? It wasn't like in this example where Shannon's trying to sell 250 grand to a financial services company. It wasn't like that, was it? No. You know, they weren't digging into individual deals. That happened in the follows. It didn't happen at the sales meeting. That happened one-on-one. You know, Steve Griffith. Does Steve Griffith still work? Yeah, he's out there somewhere. You know, I, you know he used to drill into minute detail and everything. Gingering around. It's what? Gingering around somewhere. It'll be great now, isn't he? But hello, Steve, if you're listening. Hi, Steve. But point being, you know, the next few chapters, he's digging into each of these people. and. The basic sort of summary of each of these people, so it's Shannon, then it's Carlos, is how superficial. Frankly, what bollocks the sales meeting is. It's just rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. At this point in the book, he's just giving you example. You know, Carlos gives a a forecast that's bang on, and he goes, my forecast is $175,000, and he shakes his head. We expected more of you. But actually, Carlos is dead on. Yes. He's actually qualified his deals, but they've not listened to him. And then Kathleen comes up, who's an ex-collegiate athlete. And Kathleen's got loads of deals that last forever. And the the thing I've started to realise about this book is, this is one of those where it's like a little bit like, sometimes you watch a TV show. And you know, like with a lot of these Netflix shows, you can watch them and look at your phone at the same time. So like, I'll tend to read magazines on Apple News, and papers other shit and I'll let certain Netflix shows flick over my head and I still know exactly what's going on with this I think what you've got is little nuggets where actually you need to put your phone down so for example he just goes here page 19 time kills all deals all bad deals die slowly yeah 
and you're like, right. But if you blinked, you've missed that little nugget and it is a proper nugget. That's a very good point, actually. That's a very good point. If you, it's not a book you would read without a highlighter. Yes, I agree. That's a very good point. And it's not a book you can read without concentrating on because actually every other page, well, actually I've gone three or four pages before my next nugget, but actually it's full of little nuggets intertwined into the story. Yes, it is. Well, the next one is page 27, isn't it? You know, where he's saying, I've got several questions in mind. You're absolutely right in terms of the way you just described that. Yeah. And then he said, we're on to page 27. That's right. He's got several questions in mind. And what he's pointing out is he's in this sales meeting and everybody's got a different basis upon which they're forecasting. Yes. And it, and, and that again is, he's right. As a recruiter, a sat in our little crow's nest up here, it never ceases to amaze me how many companies don't have some kind of homogenous individual sales process. It's bonkers that. Yeah, I agree. The good ones do. Of course they do. Top companies always that do. That client I was with yesterday, the whole place was full of all the salespeople. Right. Uh, and I said to the guy, I said, it's like the team that Pricey's built here. Why are they all here? He said, oh, yeah, we have sales training once a month. It's absolutely compulsory. It's non-negotiable. And then we measure against that process. So what's the process? We've medic, actually. Right. But, you know, they're a very successful business. And by having the same repeatable sales process, it's easy to measure, it's easy to manage, it's easy to market around, it's easy to train around. Yeah, it is. You know, that's what the good companies do. When you talk about scaling and scalability, they have a repeatable model all the time. This book made me think of, and remember, Joe and Nelly. Oh, yeah. Gave me big Joe and Nelly vibes in their bakery, The Business Coach by Bradley Sugars. Good book. That really good book. Good book that everybody should revisit. I think we should probably revisit it. Very good book. And he's it, it, on page 33. Measurement is the first step that leads to control and eventually to improvement. I literally circled the same bit. If you can't measure something, you can't understand it. If you can't understand it, yeah. you can't control it. If you can't control it, you can't improve it. Absolutely. It, so he's, he just drops these little nuggets in and amongst the story. And it would be very easy to pass them by. And then it gets a little bit more simple. A measurable sales process, a means to analyse the sales process, consistency and repeatability in rep performance across the sales force with an increasing average deal size and expanding upsell deal size, a measurable improvement in quarter to quarter average sales productivity. Yeah. Uh, and then what he talks about is... Uh, it's page 36. He was talking about Raj. Yes. Who didn't know what good looked like. That's right. I've got a bit on page 35 about Raj. Go on. He says to Raj in the conversation... Your sales force needs to advance up market as well as move up within organizations. If you're to sell to bigger companies where there are more experienced and sophisticated buyers that care about business value, you shifted from a single stakeholder sale in small companies to a multi-stakeholder, multi-level sale in large companies, from low-level product sales to high-level business sales. I've written a lot of companies that have done very well recently don't always reflect that, and that the beauty of SaaS is the ease with which it can be bought, I think. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I think you should bring that up with uh, John McMahon when he comes on the show. I think that's a very fair point. It's almost taken that complexity of the enterprise sale out of a lot of those enterprise sales because it's so easy to buy, implement, get going. Uh, and then you're on page 36. I think you've highlighted this big block of bullet points, haven't you? Mm, that and then... Um, no, actually, let's talk about what good look like. Okay. When I'm taking a brief out of a new client that I've never spoken to, I'll say, what are you looking for? And they'll go, somebody that sells low-code software, and I'll go, right, oh, what do you want them to know? And they'll go, the finance market. I'll go, okay. And I'll say to them, I'll say the same thing to everybody. And I go, so if I asked you across your sales force what good looks like, what's the answer? 
And like literally they're all stunned by it. Yes, it's such a simple thing for everybody to get in the room and have a one single homogenous definitive view of what good looks like. And I always think that's really what people should start with. What does a good prospect look like? What does a good seller look like? And, and actually, this guy, John McMahon, I use the word simple in a complimentary way. Much of the theme of his book is only about doing quite simple things, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a big, complex, heavy process like Miller Hyman. That's not what he's talking about. No. He's talking about, you know, if you played golf, you know what his golf swing looks like. Dead simple, up and down, straight through. <laughs> it does, though, doesn't it? And I yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah, he'd keep it simple. He'd keep it simple. Cool. Okay. They talk about these two characters, Jim and Andy, the sales managers. Yes. I've written here, I'm stunned Jim and Andy haven't been fired and got themselves a pay rise <laughs> in the current job market. And then he goes on to part two, the managers. Yes. Uh, what are you on? Page 43, because on page 44, there's some good bits. Yeah. What have you got on page 44 that's good? So he goes, uh, without sales leadership training, the Ferrego managers would be lacking the knowledge, first point, to recruit grade A players. Yeah. I really think that's very, very, very important point. Now, obviously, it's about recruitment, clearly, which is especially subject for us. Yeah. But I think very often that the really good guys, they want to go and work for people who they think are really good leaders. Of course they do. And if you've not been well-trained in sales leadership, you're not a good sales leader, you're not going to go work there, are you? I bang on. How much do I talk about mixed panel? And Natalie at Mixed Panel saying she's one of the great, one of the literally one of the best people I've ever met. Right. No doubt about Very it. Very kind, isn't it? I've done this job for 22 years. I'd put her in the top three people I've ever met. I'd put Tim Hood there and Richard Tinsdale. Richard Tinsdale, XPTC. Right. Sorry, all of the listeners, but they're my three favourites. They're your three favourites of all time. Because? If you look at those three people, you know, you'd meet them and think they're all excellent leaders. So they have the ability to recruit grade A people. Well, grade A people hire grade A people and grade B people hire grade C people. We've talked about that many times, haven't we? That's the reality. And you see that a lot. In reality, Ferrego sales managers weren't even managing. They were simply harassing reps to do more activities. Confusing activity with accomplishment. Instead of tracking meaningful indicators of deal advancement and tangible sales process results, they only kept track of activity KPIs, such as number of calls, number of emails sent, number of video instructions, number of proof concepts. My wife will always tell you about a boss she had many years ago who used to hold a sales meeting and just stand there saying, we need more deals. Right. And then she'd say it a bit louder. We need more deals. And then she'd just sort of get louder with the same phrase, we need more deals. Until everybody just felt completely shit. Do you know what I mean? It's a little bit like a football manager walking into a team meeting and saying, right, we need to score more goals. Great. Yeah, we're up for it. It is a bit. I mean, I think what this guy's talking about is the obsession around KPIs rather than deal advancement. And he's saying, listen, let's try and advance some deals. And yes. What's interesting is he's talking about the fact that these guys are, are looking at key performance indicators, but they're looking at the wrong key performance indicators. The key performance indicators they're looking at in this particular business and in this story are that they're managing calls, emails, sent, number of video introductions, and number of POCs. Now, you and I know a lot about KPIs. KPIs will always influence behavior if you create them. Of course they will, yeah. If you give somebody a, a KPI to send CVs out, They'll send 60 CVs a day. No problem. So it's interesting. I keep getting emailed by this person who's a recruiter who I have emailed back and said, listen, I'm a recruiter. Stop sending me candidates. Right. And he sends me a summary of candidates. Like This week, he was called the Fantastic Four. I just thought today, just as a different approach, I, I replied, said, yeah, all right, I'll have that guy's CV. Right. <laughs> he sent me the guy's CV, but he hadn't called me yet. But he's targeted on number of CVs sent. Yeah. 
Really? And he hasn't thought for a second about it. I just said, yeah, I'm interested in that candidate because he's put first name and there's four candidates. Is it the guy sales guy? No, 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 it's techie. Techie. <laughs> I have said to him before, I'm a sales recruiter. I'm not interested. You know, take me off your list. And he just keeps him. He's not even looked at the incoming mails, has yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. But, but point being, he's so obsessed about KPIs. I replied going, I'm interested in number one. He didn't call me or anything. He just sent me the guy's CV. Wowzers. So then he gives us his little introduction into the two characters, Jim and Andy, the sales leaders. Yes. And then the other first line managers. And he, he makes a good point here, page 54. Most of the sales managers think managing means becoming a rep's friend. I see that. We see that a lot, don't we? Matey managers. Yes. Normally new ones. I think it's always very difficult for a manager to have been pulled out of the sales team into leadership and not be their mate. It's a bit like a football manager who retires and becomes the manager. Yes, I agree. Always difficult, that. I thought this was an interesting comment, actually, on the same page. Why do reps want to get promoted? Jim answered, more money, more growth, more status. Some of them want to get promoted through the ranks with the ultimate goal to become the CRO someday. Because actually, a, a lot, a big proportion of candidates, when you talk to them, want to get promoted, don't they? They want to uh, work their way up. They want to lead. I think a lot of them don't think why they want to do it. Why? Why do people want to be managers? Well, I think it's a big question, that, isn't it? And a lot of it is about status in society, really. Do you think? I do, yeah. I think a lot of it's about status in society, personally. I almost think it's that, that people think they think. People think they should think that they should be managers. That's what I mean, status in society, isn't it? They can tell the mums and dads that are a manager now. And I think often with salespeople, it's... I get it with older salespeople. There's two things. One is they get knackered with doing the actual job of being a salesperson and it, it wears thin in different ways. And two is there's a point as people get older where they develop a different kind of skill and maturity where they have wisdom and knowledge that they want to pass. But actually, even then, I still don't quite get it. Sometimes I think, what do you want to be a manager for? It's a bit shit. Completely agree. I can never quite work it out. So then we get on to page 59. I, I just circled this bit. Yeah. It's a major problem to scale when the attrition rate exceeds the new hire. In addition to not training and coaching their reps, these managers were most likely poor recruiters. Yeah. I'll tell you what, there's a company out there that have got tens of millions in uh, Series C funding where actually that, this is exactly them. What do you mean? Their attrition rate is exceeding their new hire rate. Yeah, there's a few. And actually, I really don't think they're recruiting particularly well at all. Now, obviously, they won't deal with me, so I'm a bit bitter about that. But you look at who they're recruiting, you think, oh, my God, why have you recruited them? Amazing, I think. But it's like I said, it's cannon fodder hiring. Yes. Just over the top, over the top, over the top, off you go. Oh, right, this one's dead. Next one. Here we are, page 60 as well, then. Gaming the CRM system. So if you remember at Howard Jackson... I hope you're listening to this, Peter Ingram, because I didn't really ever like you. Uh, we used to have to add five new companies a week to the CRM system. Oh, God, what was the name of that stupid piece of software that never worked? CQ. Somebody will have sold that company and retired on the back of it. Yeah, yeah. So me and a couple of other people, uh, not mentioning any names, Pete, um, it, it used to say, mate, I can't find any any um, IT companies to add to the system because, like, they're all in CQ. What should I do? 
I said, just had any company. Pete Ingram ain't going to check them. Just make them up. Well, we used to add them. Just, just make them up. Just used to get yellow pages. <laughs> There'll be all sorts in CQ, like double glazing companies, pets, groomers. No. And, and that was gaming the CRM system. We were just like, yeah, oh, yeah, I've added my five companies. There you are, there you are, there you are. And that is a major problem, I think. Well, I think I was talking to a candidate the other day. So this guy's earned £200,000 this year and he's leaving his company. And I said to him, why are you leaving? He said, oh, you've got to put every call you make and every meeting you go on into the CRM system now. And I go, right. He says, oh, it's just ridiculous. It's just admin gone mental. So every time I speak to a customer, I'm supposed to write it up into the CRM system. And I'm thinking... It doesn't sound too unreasonable, actually, I don't think. It doesn't sa- I'm thinking that doesn't sound unfair. Now, I'm not going to disabuse him of that because he's about to go and join my client. So I, I was sort of a bit like, yeah, right. Sounds, sounds heavy, that man. Um, but I was thinking, come on, mate, really? Yeah, but equally, though, if you're him, right? So he, if he's earning 200 grand, he's obviously selling stuff. Oh, he's a top guy, yeah. So his point will be, why do I need to all of a sudden fill in the CRM system? I didn't before. His point saying, where's this crack of the whip come from? I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Leave me alone. Get the ones that are missing target. They have to fill it in. I'll tell you what, do you want me to still fill in the CRM system or do you want me to fill these orders in that I've just got? Yeah, yeah, and I, I do get that point. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because CRM hygiene and creating good CRM hygiene is a really interesting one because some people, some people just do it automatically. Well, you know I do, Johnny. Yeah, that's our game, isn't it? We're in the knowledge game and information matters. But I can never quite get that whole, oh, God, yeah, filling in the CRM. It's just so onerous. Really? Well, surely that's where you want to keep your notes so you know where you're at with your deals. No, I write it all in my red and black book. Black and red book. You know which one I mean. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, right. You could have just typed it straight in when you were on the phone. I don't know. So next part then is on to manager priorities. That's why I'm up to page 63. Yes. Um, and it's interesting. He goes, when I was first promoted to manage a team of sales reps from Santa Barbara to San Diego, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I knew three things at the time. My compensation plan told me that I maximized my earnings by helping my sales reps sell. Yes. As a new manager, I didn't understand what was important internally that I didn't want to be like the other managers who were always in their cubicles. How could they be so busy in a cubicle when their comp plan was the same as mine? Uh, and I, I think, you know, it's a, you've got to read the whole chapter, really, but I think what he's talking about is getting involved with the salespeople yeah. and, and understanding where they're at with their, with their sales campaigns to be able to help them yeah. rather than sitting in a cubicle and not getting involved. And I think that is very true. It's interesting. I was at this company yesterday. They've probably got 30 or 40 salespeople, I think, something like that. Right. And I was with the head of sales and then the head of sales and I walked upstairs to the sales floor because the chief exec sits on the sales floor. And as me and the uh, sales director walked from the first floor all the way up the third floor, about four salespeople stopped him in the corridor and said, can I ask you about this? 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 And I said, don't I get tired? And he said, not really. He said, because I actually don't take any notes on anything because there's too many deals that I just can't get involved in everything, I can't get down to it, but I sort of am involved with everything. So I generally get a consensus of which salesperson is doing badly and which is doing well by how much they're in my face. And I thought it was very interesting. You know, he clearly knew what was going on in his sales force. And also, the chief exec was sat with the salespeople in the business. That's a cultural statement, though, isn't it? Yes. It's a nice culture, this place. That's a very, very powerful cultural statement. Sales is the most important department in this business to me. 
uh, so we went upstairs and it was about, I can't remember, I left there. Well, as we went upstairs, chief exec came out and he, and he came over. He said, all right, how's it going? What, whatever. He said, listen, I've got to go. He said, I don't be rude, but I've got to go because I'm going out with one of the reps actually to meet one of our clients. And that was the chief exec right. going out with a rep to meet a client. Yeah. But that's the culture, isn't it? It's a sales culture. Yes. That's all about the sale. Well, going back to John talking about Raj, I think one of the points that we skipped over is that Raj wasn't a salesperson and therefore they didn't have a sales culture in the organisation. Yes, I get that. Okay. I get that. And then he gets into this little story of the fox and the hedgehog. <laughs> I put on here, I'm a hedgehog. Well, just remind me about the story again. Uh, I can't remember. I remember, I've, I've highlighted a lot. He says the fox's name's Sly Smartass. I did think that, Pricey. I, I remember now. I did... The hedgehog is called Billy Basics. Pricey's the hedgehog. I, I put I'm a hedgehog. Billy Basics was born a genetic mix-up between a porcupine and an armadillo. This left Billy with poor eyesight, so he had to rely on hearing and his keen sense of smell to get around. Basically, he says that Billy just does the basics right all the time. <laughs> and the fox is a bit of a blogger. Yeah, and he says, in self-defence, causing all of his 5,000 spines to point out, then he lets out a loud snort like a large hog. That's you, Pricey. It is, yeah. <laughs> it absolutely is. That's funny. That's funny. So then he gets on to, we're on page 71 now, the basics, chapter 16. Basic number one, common vocabulary. So simple, but so obvious. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Well, we talked about, we touched on it earlier, didn't we? Basic number two, listening. We talk about that all the time, don't we? Yeah. In every show, really. Everybody talks about it, but very few people actually do it, I think. Well. Yeah. And then he talks about basic number three, be present. Again, I think that's a real killer. I think a lot of people at the moment... It's a killer at home. In what, what do you mean? Whilst you're working from home? Yeah, I still, 14 years down, write out 10 lines of things, of points of concentration for, for myself each day. And the first one I actually write down is be present. Yep, be there. Stay in the moment. So easy when you're talking to some boring person. To go on bbc.co.uk forward slash football. Very, very easy that. And actually, this boring person might come out with some gem. Yeah. I think. There's a lot of distraction. I think that, and the whole concept, for example, when, when people are in meetings, just turn your phone off. Well, it's much easier now to be in a meeting, isn't it? Because actually, you don't know what I'm looking at now. We're in a meeting now. For all I know, you're reading the Yorkshire Post. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? You just don't know. Whereas actually, and if you're a client, you don't know. I don't know a lot of the clients are great, but I've known a lot of the clients 20 years now. And actually, they give me a brief. I know what they're going to say before they talk to me. And I'm sure our clients and candidates are exactly the same. I'm sure there's plenty of salespeople who've sat, you know, on a one-month sort of touching base session with a new prospect. They've sat there not listened to what the prospects say and lost the prospect six months down the line because they didn't listen because they were looking at BBC Sport. I drove to Headingley the other week to the rugby. I was on my own. Uh, I met up with Rhino Pete in the stand. Is he a listener of the show? Hello, Rhino Pete. Pete doesn't listen to this. He's a sales professional though, isn't he? He sells food. Exactly. And that's not the metaphor that they're using Top Boy Food Brov. Uh, and I met him at the game. And on the way to the game, there was this woman driving along, looking at a phone on the ring road. And the car was all over the road. And I beat like hell at her to say, what are you doing? But the point is, she couldn't drive and look at a phone at the same time. And actually, we can't sell and look at our phone at the same time or look at other stuff, can we? Can't do it. It's difficult. It's difficult. What you can't do is listen. No. That's what you can't do. And then he says, basic number four, intuition. I thought I was really good at that. 
actually allowing yourself to be intuitive, really good. Basic number five, self-awareness. Bang on. Completely agree, yeah. Basic number six, transformational mindset. Bang on. I think they'd be good things to um, to interview against. I'll tell you something really interesting. It's another rugby league analogy. Rhinos have just hired a new coach, a guy called Rowan Smith, and everybody's a little bit like, right, right, Rowan Smith, brilliant, right. And he's 40. He's been assistant coach at a load of clubs. And the chief exec said, the thing I liked about him the most when I interviewed him was the fact that not only is he cheap, I need to take the job because we're near the bottom of the table, brackets, unbrackets. But the thing he said he liked about him was that he has a learning and development mindset for everybody in the business and in the club. And he wants everybody to get better. Fair comment. And then this point he's saying here is being a true leader is a leader's relationship with their people should be transformational, not transactional. I thought that's another of his little nuggets in this book, isn't it? Yes. Transformational, not transactional. You're transforming or you're transacting. You know, and, and we often meet loads of leaders where it's transactional, isn't it? What are you getting for me? Yes. Where's my commission off your deals? But actually what he's saying is if, that, if you're in a leadership role, and you're not transforming the people around you, you're in the wrong game. And he gets very subtle. He gives the, the, the very subtle messages. Then he says, don't be a glorified scorekeeper, basic number seven. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Inspire, coach, and develop, inspect. I like that. Yeah. I like number nine, actually. Keep it simple. You know, that's something I talk about. I think it's really important. Yeah, simplicity. And then I liked his basic number 10, urgent curiosity. Mm. I really like that. Urgent curiosity. That concept of going through a deal with somebody and not doing it in an interrogative way, but being really curious. Well, tell me more about that. Rather than, well, are you going to win it or what? Completely agree. It's a much, curiosity is a lot kinder than interrogation, isn't it? Yes. Well, and, then, and, and he goes it's on about isn't this it? Italian guy who was very well, curious. Well, well, I was going to say, we did a load of recruitment for an AI company called Peak. Really, really yeah. good business, I thought that. Uh, that was one of the key things that they interviewed against was people's capacity to be curious in the sales process. Well, you know that Christian Hatton is a big fan of this book, don't you? Oh, is this a recommendation from Christian? It was Christian who got me onto this. Oh, right. Hello, Christian, if you're listening. It's a good book. Yeah, it was Christian that taught me into reading this. Right. And he kept saying to me, have you read Qualified Sales Lead yet? Oh, well, there you go. There's no surprise there then, I guess. Yeah. And then I like this other one, Time is Your Enemy. Brilliant. And he makes this point, 12 weeks per quarter, 24 weekend days, 90 days in the quarter, 66 selling days in a quarter. Brilliant. 66 selling days in a quarter. There is only 66 selling days. Amazing that. Mm, mm. Because people think there's a lot more, don't they? Three months seems like a long time, doesn't it? It's not. It's 66 selling days. 66 selling sleeps to get to or, or not to the quarter number. And then he talks about sales process benefits. Exit criteria using gates and gates around KPIs. And then at page 92, we're at part three, the B2B sales process, where I suggest we stop here. So we're 92 pages in, and then we'll get to page 180, I reckon, next week. And then from page 180, we'll get to uh, probably, maybe we'll get to about page 200 next week. And then from 200, we'll get to 312. But I have to say, Mike, I'm really enjoying this one. Yeah, I think it's a good book. I've liked it, yeah. No doubt about it. It's got me engaged. It's got me thinking about things in our own business. Good book, this. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I'm a fan of it. I'm looking forward to meeting him. I think he'll be a top guy. Yeah, it'd be really good getting John on the show. 
I think so. I know Alex is in with that, so uh, we'll get him on the show and we can really give him a good grilling, can't we? I don't think we'll give him a grilling. I think we'll sit there and chat to him. I think he'll be easygoing. It strikes me. What's interesting about it, you know, PTC had quite a fearsome reputation, didn't it? As did BMC. Yes. Um, the way the book's written, he doesn't sound as intense as that, really. It was funny, wasn't it? You know, we knew what the match was. 25, up for life, mad for it. Mm. That was the match, wasn't it? Yes, completely. Young, mental. Young and mental. Mm. Articulate, dynamic as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those guys went on to have very serious careers. One of them became CEO of a company, became a multi millionaire. One of the guys I placed there. Well, one of them became CEO of Idea Gym. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. That Dave Hornsby you're referring to there, you know, he's a salesman at PTC in the late 90s. Did well. So, yeah, good book. Enjoying it. We'll see you next week for another episode of Book Club. Mm-hmm.